Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Today we sail around the world, drinking whatever wines we find in the port. Wait, that isn't what port is? Fortified wine, huh. Okay, let's give it a shot. Join us as we have ourselves a glass and have a drink. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. <laughs> yeah, you may notice we're one guy down, one man down today. Um, he'll be back. He had a, a, a thing he had to take care of this weekend, and he will be back next week. That We are talking about Mr. Justin Bob Frazier. <laughs> we're down to Bob, but we're going we're gonna to find the strength to move through this. We'll find a way. Be half as many jokes in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I hope probably. you are ready for that. Basically, it's dry. Although the the beverage we're talking about today isn't a dry one at all, is it? No. Oh. But uh, I believe Casey, um, what uh, what have you been up to? As as seems to be uh, per usual, you are the one with the most interesting things going on. So what what did you find this morning? Uh, we went down and went to Lexington. We heard through the grapevine that there was going to be a shipment of some Buffalo Trace stuff coming in. It's getting harder to find some of their things. So uh, we went down, and sure enough, this morning in came some bottles of Weller. They had the green label Special Reserve and the red label, the Antique 107. So I got a bottle of the, the 107 to kind of complete um, uh, the couple that I needed on that end. I was hoping for some Weller 12. They didn't have any. It's kind of a difficult one to find. This was just a normal everyday shipment. Um, the lady came out and actually said, what are y'all waiting for? Because she, <laughs> I mean, it was just literally just everyday Buffalo Trace type stuff. Um, Eagle Rare, big format bottles. Um, there were probably 35 people in line for just this normal delivery of oh, stuff. Oh, wow. Were you all outside or in the store? Outside. Oh, okay. So everyone just lined. Was it before the doors opened? Oh yeah, we. I got there probably two hours till doors, and oh. um, and there were four people in front of me. Oh wow! So yeah, um, it's not like we were hoping. So we were hoping that there would be some Elmer T. Lee. That was the mm. tip that I got. Was that there might be some Elmer T. Lee on this this truck? But uh, turns out there weren't any bottles there. But I was able to get a Blanton still. So happy about that. Had that during our last show. And then um, the 107 Antique, I've got that set back. So whenever I finish off this one, I'll be able to crack that one open. 
So, yeah, a lot of this Buffalo Trace stuff is getting harder to find. In this area, um, in our Discord, I was bringing this conversation up. For the past couple of weeks, I've actually been kind of kicking this up, asking around what everyone's seeing, because I've not seen a regular bottle of Buffalo Trace on shelves for about a month now. Really? Yeah, and this past mm. week, uh, they got a shipment of Buffalo Trace in up around us, and it was uh, there was no Blantons. I haven't seen Blantons in months up around Yeah. Here. They can't keep that back behind the, the counters. And you got to ask for it kind of thing. And uh, Eagle Rare, they so they got enough to fill the... So they have this the shelf space that's meant for the Buffalo Trace and Eagle Rare mm-hmm. to go, and the Blantons. They filled that entire thing with, I think, about three different uh, levels of format bottles of Eagle Rare. Seemed to mm-hmm. have been all they got. I went in one day because I was checking for uh, deconstructed bomb, and I always drop through bourbon just to see if you know something's popped on the shelf or whatever. Uh, it, it always pays to look whenever you're there. Sure. But I was checking for the deconstructed deconstructed bomb, and uh, I walked through, and I just saw this big vacancy. And I was like, sure, whatever. I was like, I've, they haven't had this stuff forever. And then I came back the next day, and it was filled with the three different levels, including the you know comically large bottle of Equal Rare. <laughs> Like a full gallon or something. Yeah, I don't like know huge. Yeah. And you're like, uh, all right. <laughs> but I saw that there, and I was like, all right, we finally got some Buffalo Trace products. That's great. And there was no actual Buffalo Trace. And I was like, oh, but there's Eagle Rare at a decent price, too. I think it was like $34 for like the mid-level. And I was like, oh, that's a good price for it. Uh, I didn't buy any. And then I came back the next day to check again because it was supposed to be the delivery date for um, – the uh, uh, deconstructed bomb, and then they dropped the bomb on me that they are no longer, they lost, their distributor lost the deal with Shelton Brothers, and they are no longer getting anything Shelton Brothers. Oh, crap. Yeah, so I was like, oh. But I had that news, and then day before I walked by that shelf, it was loaded, like multiple dozens of bottles of Eagle Rare. Mm -hmm. I walked by it again, not a single bottle. Yeah. It got wiped out in a day, in 24 hours. I don't get the craze over Eagle Rare. Blands, it's good. It's good juice. It's not great, but it's good juice. I mean, I'm going to get slack over that, but <laughs> it's, I mean, it's nothing. I wouldn't normally have stood in line just for a Blands. Hmm. Let me say that. Um, the Weller 107, yeah, I probably would have stood in line knowing that that was just there. Um, Elmer T. Lee, I definitely, like, that was the reason I was kind of wanting to stand in line there. But the Blands alone, I'm not. Eagle Rare, I would not have stood in line for. No, I wouldn't um, stand in line for Eagle Rare. I'm not used to that. The stores where we used to hang out a lot, That's I used to buy Eagle Rare all the time, and it wasn't I've got a, thing. a local that has six bottles on the shelf right now, and, and they've been there for a while. I, I, it's local right. market demand around here. I guess Eagle Rare is a hot thing yep. up here, but and Buffalo, because uh, yep. they may have gotten regular Buffalo Trace bottles that shot off the shelf before I even walked past. Yeah. Wasn't it that you said you couldn't find uh, the cream either? They no. had they had the cream the same time, but it all shot off the shelf as well. That's crazy. Like anything that, Buffalo, popular anyway, day though. it hits the shelf, anything from Buffalo Trace flies off. So, mm. And we had uh, up here experienced a big shortage before when they took uh, shipments and sent them overseas uh, when you had the big spike in Japan. So the large format Buffalo Trace bottles were getting shipped over there instead of here because they're willing to pay more. Yep. <sighs> so yeah uh <laughs> what about announcements yeah. and then kbs was this past oh, week yeah. oh, uh, oh how did we Friday. miss that yeah i got nothing on that really uh, i went into the liquor barn i was about 3 30 in the afternoon and went up and i saw the guy pick up the last two bottles oh my god asked, 
where'd you get those? He pointed and they were all gone. Mm. So you might, I got some later liquor stores locally that don't get mm. their shipment in until about a, I don't know, two weeks after everybody else does. I so almost got burned. So I talked to several locations up here and everyone was expecting their shipments to come in this weekend. And they were saying, you know what? We're probably going to hold them back and we'll put them. Everyone said they're not doing a special release and that they were just on Monday going to put it out on the shelf. So when they opened KBS yeah. was just going to be out because they were expecting large quantities. And hmm. then suddenly while I'm at work, I check, I was like, I'm going to check Twitter and see what's going on. Cause I was going to release out in Indiana. I was like, don't need to stop anywhere on my way back. And sure enough, I check, and my local haunts are all like, oh, we got it early. It's already on the shelf. And I'm like, oh, I'm going an hour and a half into Indiana to wait who knows how long in line for another release. And then I've got to come another hour and a half back through before I have a chance at any of it. And then my first usual haunt, I'm not going to name names, uh, it is a large format store. But uh, I had been assured it was going to be Monday, but they were, sure enough, the first ones to go, nope, it's on the shelf now. Mm-hmm. I show up there, they're completely out of four packs, but their limit the limits were crazy this year, so no one was doing like one to two bottle limits up here. It was four pack and up. I, when I was in Indiana, people were talking about uh, one a big store they knew of that was doing a limit of two four packs and a bomber per person. Huh. Lexington was two bottles. Where I, uh, So the first place I went, it was one four pack or a bomber. And uh, or no, it was uh, a four pack and a bomber was the limit. But when I got there, all the four packs were gone. So I grabbed a bomber, scowled and left. (laughs) (laughs) Then I stopped at Kroger because I had the forethought because they got CBS in. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm willing to bet if they got CBS, they're going to get KBS. Sure enough, uh, I stroll in and uh, I had asked the day before and the guy had said, yes, they would be getting it in. But he was probably going to do a two bottle limit. And it was the manager. When I went in, yep. the manager was he was there, but he was elsewhere talking. It looked like to a distributor, he was <laughs> preoccupied, and so those limits are just kind of like a piece of paper, kind of good faith thing. There's nothing if an employee who doesn't know goes to plug it in the system. There's not a flag that jumps up and says no, nope, yeah. you can only sell X amount of these per person. Well, he was preoccupied, and it being Kroger, the employee had no idea what the f anyone was talking about when I walked in and said, "Hey, you got KBS?" and he was like, "Hmm." Is it this that they just dropped over there? And there were there was a pallet laying on the floor that had been ravaged. And there were still <laughs> some four-packs in it. I noticed the one dude was busy, so I just reached in and grabbed two four-packs and walked up, and he checked me out and then put it in the bag. And I'm like, well, if the other dude notices now, it's too late. I've already paid. Yep. And I ran out the door. So Done and gone. Came away clean with exactly what I wanted. Nice. I didn't overbuy because in the past it's been I would buy every bottle I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And this right. year, I set myself at a limit of two four-packs and a bomber. Bomber to be shared at a date to be selected uh, next sure. month. <laughs> but, yeah. Cool. Exciting. All righty. What announcements do we have? Yes. So, uh, our next episode is going to be uh, Saturday, April 7th, 9 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to be covering the Whiskey and Rum Rebellions. We're going to go so, ahead and assume that is where Justin is, is cranking away on that episode. That is going, <laughs> right. that is going to be a Fraser joint. Yeah, another thesis. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, uh, which is weird because it's you. You're the one. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be here for I that one. I won't be here for the next two episodes after this one. Yeah. Um, I'll be on. I'll be on a boat, right? On a boat. So, but uh, we're we're gonna there. we're gonna shoehorn some things in that Casey's not really apt to yeah. want to talk about <laughs> while in his absence. I did not approve. 
So uh, um, he won't have to worry about those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'd also like to remind everyone that our news show is up. Uh, it has its very own feed and is live every Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Look for Have a Drink News in your podcatcher of choice. Um, finally, we are happy to join the Diamond Club team in the year-round Extra Life campaign to support Children's Miracle Network. Donate to our page and help us help the team reach the $10,000 goal. Visit bit.ly slash H-A-D Extra Life. Had Extra Life, all lowercase. Woo. And uh, I think we also probably need to start adding the announcement uh, well, at least for now, another date will be added later. I believe, what was our selected date for oh. the uh, patron hangout next month? April 21st. April 21st. 21st. Uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and it will probably be in the Discord. We'll just be kind of doing a video. We might play some games. But we will be having a discussion about a possible meetup. I don't know. Uh, patrons are going to be uh, allowed to help choose some things that are going to be going on. Yep. We want your guys' input on that. And that, that's for the $5 a month patrons. Yes. So Everyone else's input is also welcome, but that particular discussion will be for the $5 a month patrons. So if you want to up your pledge to $5, <laughs> or if you're not currently pledging... I mean, it, it also <laughs> stands to bring up we're only $15 away from the next goal of merchandising. Oh my yeah. goodness! So you guys, you you guys want weird. the you want those Deladders stickers and coasters or Deladders Deladders yeah. Brew member uh, t-shirts? Uh, that's what'll get them. Fifteen dollars. That's that's all that is away from you getting your Deladders merch. Mm-hmm. All right. And I believe we have some news. <laughs> you know, I kind of don't like being on this end of things. All right. Um, so our news story today: uh, Constellation, a little little company. You may have heard of them. So Constellation yeah. beer sales have topped $4.6 billion <laughs> for fiscal year 2018. You know, you know that's a small amount. Hmm. Constellation yeah. Brands reported a fiscal year 2018 earnings on Thursday, which were highlighted by a 3% increase in total net sales to more than $7.6 billion. Uh, net sales of Constellation Brand... Br- I screwed up reading this earlier. Net sales of Constellation Brands... Beer brands, including mm-hmm. Mexican import labels Corona, Modelo, and Pacifico, thats those are the key brands to remember here, as yeah. well as craft breweries Ballast Point and Funky Buddha, increased 10.1% to about $4.7 billion. For fiscal year 18, uh, the company's beer shipment volumes increased 8.8%, while depletions, uh, sales to retailers, were up 9.8%. During awesome. a, yeah, during a call with investors and analysts, Constellation brand CEO Rob Sands called uh, the company's beer portfolio a powerhouse for growth. These are all quotes, everyone. <laughs> so mm-hmm. as the number one growth contributor to the U.S. beer market and the number one high-end beer company. Those are all internal quotes that right. they are promoting themselves with. N- I, okay, I did not... They own Ballast Point and Funky Buddha. Yeah, remember, they Ballast paid, Point was the big. Buy they paid a billion. They paid a, a billion dollars for Ballast Point. Yeah. How are they still considered craft? They're not. They're not. Because it says as well as craft breweries. Well, blah, they're blah, blah, not. Blah, blah. Not since since certified acqu- craft. Yeah, since mm-hmm. they were acquired, they've not been craft. Gotcha. So, uh, b- b- confused. Uh, I didn't realize the Funky Buddha one. I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, that was late last year that that happened. 
Uh, Constellation brand CFO David Klein added that the company believes it can continue to grow its beer business to the 9 to 11% range for the foreseeable future. About 50% of that growth will come from uh, increased distribution of Modelo, Pacifico, and Corona Premier brands, he added. Where to? Modelo's just about anywhere, isn't it? Yeah, that's. I don't get th- Those are the big brands that... Th- is causing all this. I mean, they're going to have a lot of sales coming up here in the next several weeks because of <laughs> Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sands told analysts uh, he's confident that the company can, can continue to grow and claim market share despite softness when, within the overall beer category. In fact, Sands argued that more affordable, uh, larger pack sizes from some craft brewers, I think it's a big shot at uh, founders right there, as well mm-hmm. as increased competition from more than 6,300 beer companies and the continued trend toward hyper-localization wouldn't affect Constellation's pricing strategy. This is, I think it's it's unbelievable, the numbers that they're putting up for uh, the level that they sell at. I mean, they are, I would have seen them at, so if you listen to the news show, uh, we were talking about the Green Flash stuff, I would have put them right in there in the possible trouble category, like Green Flash and right. New Belgium mm. and Stone, into where they were going to have to start scaling back some stuff, maybe close some breweries and things to make up for the losses. But this is absolutely incredible. You know, whenever the the potential for Mexican loggers to take off this next year was one of those things that... Um, we talked about kind of the new year show at that point, you kind of knew these breweries that were, that was their bread and butter. That was everything that they did was the Mexican lager stuff. You knew that that would be a big portion of growth. I wasn't expecting the craft breweries that they bought up like Ballast Point, especially to be doing very well. Yeah. Um, I thought that was probably a bad buy back in the day. I don't know what it's doing now. Um, it still may not be making what they really expected it to. I know uh, this is, again, this is going to be a local scenario, but when I've been hanging around in some stores, like I tend to do, um, <laughs> I have heard uh, guys on the floor, that again, this is just them literally going into sales mode, selling Ballast Point beer by promoting some of the uh, Sculpin variants by being mm. like, oh, I, I know I've talked to the head brewer over at, say, this isn't even a say, this is exact verbatim what he said, over at Rheingeist, and he was pointing at the Grapefruit Sculpin, and he's like, and this is his favorite beer. Like, mm. he's a local craft brewer, but this big faux craft macro beer is his favorite beer. And mm. I'm just sitting there going, I don't think any of this is true at all. And all of Ballast Point's flavored beers taste kind of bad and chemically, because they yeah. are. Like all the, the sculpin's not awful, but the yeah. base beers are all good. Like that's the thing; they just got to get away from that chemical flavoring thing. I, I, the people are upselling the Ballast Point stuff, and it is really paying off for Constellation. Like they have that one billion dollars they put into that, unbelievably has paid itself off. We're we're on the way there. Yeah, I doubt the the whole additional um, growth that they saw came from just from Ballast Point, but. Uh, I'm sure it's a long ways to uh, toward that goal. Yeah, they may be running some promos right now. You know, you get um, you sell so many cases, you get something, uh, you know, those types of of promos Mm, for the stores. Yeah. 
I think it's interesting um, on here. It says they, they're going to continue to leverage sponsorships with sports franchises to grow the brand as Corona Extra is the official cerveza of the San Francisco Giants, which is kind of a big deal. And then the official import beer of the Kentucky Derby, which I did not know. Because that's what you think of. Yeah. The Kentucky Derby is... is... Well, so, if you don't like mojitos, then you're like, hey, look, Corona, I can drink that. So if you're thinking about how much uh, they're actually shipping, so uh, the, the San said the import labels, family of brands, these are the imports, so it's those three that we were talking about, those like Cerveza mm-hmm. category, 110 million case mark was crossed in fiscal year 18. Mm-hmm. That was just for Modelo. Yeah, this is absolutely insane. Uh, brand grew depletions by 18%. So I, they just, are, I guess I'm wondering, like, what what is it that's taking, like, they're guess seeing, how? They're and, seeing double-digit growth, whereas most everyone else is seeing an extreme slowdown. Yeah. Is it, I mean, is it really how spread out they've made it? Because they've acquired some massive craft brands, but they've still got some real good base brands in there that don't, they haven't, like, lost any street cred, you could say. Like, you don't have anyone really crap-talking Modelo. No. I mean, it's. I, I like the the Necro Modelo still. Minus a little bit of glass in your model. <laughs> like this brand, you don't right? see them as the overlords that you see as some of the others. But yeah. Coors. And that's... No, I never really compare Constellation to like Coors or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it, you can compare anybody else to ABN Bev. But like, you're not going to think Constellation and think, oh, all the big bad beer guy, you know? Yeah. And they are positioning themselves so they're saying uh, we're lever- we're leveraging the equity. And authenticity of our high-end small batch High West whiskey. Remember, they own uh, oh, High yeah. West. Yeah. And building off trends of craft spirits and barrel-aged beverages, uh, they believe that this is the trend for the next American beer: uh, sessionable yet flavorful. So oh, you're going to see a lot. So. Yeah. Because again, <laughs> we saw the High West barrel-aged uh, beer from uh, uh, what's it <laughs> from Bell's Point? Uh, what is that one? The Asian, uh, nah, I forget it. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm having a brain fart. But yeah, that they're use, they're really using these to get to the what's hot right now. Like they're finally looking into their stable of brands, going, oh, we can use things from this one and combine them with this one, and that's actually what's hot in this community right now. And yeah. they're uh, going to move forward with the uh, Svedka branded 100 calorie spiked seltzers. In right. three flavors this summer. So you're going to see that. Like, they're coming into these categories. Uh, the company also plans to release another flavored malt beverage under the Corona banner. I think we talked... Yeah, we talked about these. The uh, We talked about the Refresco ones, yeah. Yeah, but... Those, which actually sounded tasty. Those are going to hit <laughs> for fair. fiscal year 19. And so they're, the company is targeting for fiscal year 19 net sales and operating growth in the 9 to 11% range. So... Mm. I'm not saying if I was uh, someone trading in stocks, I would be buying some Constellation stock. But I'd be buying some Constellation stock. <laughs> I, I need some. I need buttons to smack. I, I, I have them, but they're not. Lagavulin neat. Clear alcohols are for rich women on diets. Close enough. <laughs> that that that's my buzzer sound right there. Okay. Bye. <laughs> All, All right. right. Uh, I believe. Let me see if I've got it on here. Oh. <laughs> Maybe. Possibly. Yes. We got untapped. Get riggedy, riggedy, For those confused, uh, Chris is operating the soundboard and all the producing today. So, <laughs> If you missed the pre-show and my amazing classic rock and eclectic <laughs> music. He, he's won the DJ for a day 
contest. <laughs> yeah. Just just you wait until post show. Uh, okay. Um so first up on the list for the untapped badges is uh one of our, our favorite breweries, I would say, uh, New Belgium. This is for the Voodoo Ranger. Uh, the Haze Craze has taken the world by or the beer world by storm, and Haze our little Craze. friends at New Belgium are here with their answer to the juicy unfiltered IPA category. So the Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze IPA is packed with bright tropical aroma and brilliant citrusy flavors. Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze wraps up with a pleasantly smooth finish. More than 10 years experience brewing unfiltered beers, it was a no-brainer for New Belgium to continue their tradition of pushing the boundaries of great beer. Uh, experience the juicy tropical goodness that is Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze, and you can unlock this brand new badge. So um, all you have to do is check in to uh, one of those those beers between March 21st and April 21st. Okay. So that's not too bad. You've basically got a month. Can I add how easy... Or, well, a couple weeks. How confusing uh, the Voodoo Ranger brand is? Because I myself, being slightly knowledgeable, uh, went to buy a single of one of those to get the badge and accidentally grabbed the Imperial. Not mm. bad, but it's not getting me a badge. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's yeah like the all the Voodoo Ranger series seems pretty good um and we have had the uh the hazy IPA and I would I would recommend it I think it's it's pretty tasty it it it's not as good as some of the locals that I've had as far as the New England style goes but I I like the the hazy one pretty good cool moving on to Terrapin home opener are you ready for some baseball <laughs> I don't know if that's how that works but uh, our friends at Terrapin sure are opening day is March 29th and Terrapin's ATL brew lab which is located in Sun Trust Park in San Francisco right Maybe. I'm going to assume that uh, sure ATL means Atlanta uh, <laughs> producing a combination of new beers and old Terrapin favorites step up to the plate with Terrapin and you're sure to hit a home run, check into one, count them, one beer from Terrapin Beer Company or ATL Brew Lab by Terrapin within a 30-mile radius of downtown Atlanta between March 28th and April 8th, and you'll unlock the new home opener badge. Okay, so you're, you're about a month off from having been able to get that one. I know. It's like a six-hour drive to Atlanta. Yeah, not, not I may, well, I may need to fly somewhere, and you always go through Atlanta when you fly. So Yeah, the Delta. Seems... <laughs> I hate that airport. So you know you know what's a little closer? North Carolina. Uh-huh, it's North Carolina. Up, take your shirt off. <laughs> North Carolina Beer Month badges and giveaways. So a uh, friend of the show, Jim, just got back from North Carolina. He may have wanted to put that trip off a couple of weeks because <laughs> there is a whole slew of badges. So, North Carolina Beer Month is officially here, and it's time to celebrate, boasting more than 260 breweries from the mountains to the coast. The Tar Heel State. What is a Tar Heel? Can someone tell me? I don't know, because you continue with the badge, I'll tell (laughs) you. The Tar Heel State is brewing up something for everyone. This year, the folks at North Carolina Beer Month have taken it up a notch with several badges and four awesome beer getaway giveaways. To get started, let's all raise a toast to North Carolina beer with our favorite brew from the state. Check into one beer from a North Carolina-based brewery. They have them listed below, but if it's from North Carolina, it pretty much qualifies. Uh, In the month of April, and you'll unlock Welcome to NC Beer Month badge. You can continue the fun by unlocking the NC Beer Passport badge. Check into a total of 
five different qualifying North Carolina Beer Month venues that they list uh, during the month of April, and it's yours. Continue on to 10 and 15 total unique venues to unlock the second and third levels of this badge. You must add the qualifying location to your check-in for it to count towards your badge. Uh, in case you needed more reason than just drinking excellent beer to unlock your NC Beer Passport badges, each level of the badge will earn you an entry to win one of four exclusive North Carolina beer getaways to Asheville or Brevard in the mountains, uh, Durham in Central Region, or the Outer Banks on the coast. I kind of love it at the Outer Banks. Uh, you can see how many entries you've earned and learn more about the prizes at untapped.com slash ncbeermonth. And if you want to learn more about what the Tar Hills means, <laughs> it probably comes from folklore that uh, comes from tar, pitch, and turpentine created from the vast pine forests where some of North Carolina's most important experts exports early on in the state's history. All right. We learned a little something right then. At least I did. <laughs> Moving on to our untapped brewery madness. madness. And we are almost there, boys and girls. April 2nd marks the end and the championship. Oh, it's coming for... up quick. And these numbers on some of these matchups are getting close. They are. So right now, in the quarterfinals, we had Founders, who beat out BrewDog. We had Sierra Nevada, who beat out Dogfish Head. We had Stone who beat out Boston Beer Company and Firestone Walker beat out Guinness by a hair, less than three beers. So oh. if you don't think that your beer counts, <laughs> looks like Stone Brewing is going to take over with Firestone Walker and move on to that championship round. And Founders and Sierra Nevada, let's just say Sierra Nevada didn't even have a chance. Yeah, those... We're looking at Founders at 1100 uh, sorry, 11,829 to Sierra Nevada's 5,990. 5, sorry there. Uh, moving on. So what were we going to see here? We're probably going to see some stone brewing going up against Founders Brewing. Possibly. And I think Founders is going to win it. Yeah. Uh, especially well, yeah. with a KBS release. Yeah. We saw true. that. Uh, didn't I can't. I'm swearing. We could go back and check. But uh, I'm pretty sure we saw Stone and Founders move on to the championship against each other last year, possibly, and didn't Stone end up coming out on top? Maybe. Mm. But Founders See, I can't always much from the one last year. Founders and Guinness always this time of year get those huge pushes, but Guinness right. dropped off quick this year. Like no one was drinking it after St. Patrick's Day; it just died. Founders but, runs on average about 6,500 check-ins over a two-day period. Um, during the semifinals, it went from a two-day period to a one-day period, and Founders went from 6,000 check-ins or 6,500 check-ins to almost 12,000 check-ins, and it went from doing two days to one day. So they literally quadrupled the number of check-ins. Yeah, and uh, could the national release of KBS have something to do with that? Probably. It was the day before, so yeah. I would assume that would be the factor. So, yeah, semifinals are ending the night of recording. So all the check-ins right now are, I guess, still counting. Uh, yeah. So, Until probably midnight on West coast, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if, if, if I were a betting man, I would say we will see stone versus founders again. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have the update to the seven city tour. Uh, so we've kind of talked about this since we first heard about it. It's been for the month of March and, um, 
It is based also on check-ins. Uh, the top 10 cities are, as of right now, New York. Uh, number two is Chicago. Let, number let's, three. Let's talk some numbers so people can see exactly what uh. the check-ins come in at. Because these are the live check-ins. Like we can just, If you've been following this, you can just go to this page anytime and sure. you could refresh it. And it would show you to the minute what the check-ins were at. Yeah, it's, it's untapped.com slash seven city tour. Seven spelled out. So basically, not a lot of movement from what we have seen. Like, it's the same cities. And of course, uh, our Cincinnati um, went from, like, four down to six now. <laughs> but we are still in the top seven, and that's what counts. So, um, but so leading... New York is going to stay where it is, obviously. They're at 34,200 check-ins. Chicago's at 22,000. So these are kind of crazy. Like, obviously, you know, these are the places with more people. (laughs) So that probably helps. Um, Cincinnati, we're at 13,973. So, you know, not... You may refresh that 13,991. Ah, okay. It's always changing. So it's kind of hard to get the exact numbers. But I'm checking in. I'm doing my part. Come on. (laughs) I was out today at several places doing my part. Where are you? Are, mm-hmm. are you doing your part? Smoke, are you out helping get Chicago? Come on. You you all are pushing good numbers. Cincinnati, we're pushing rookie numbers. we got to get those numbers up. True. Yeah. That's right. true. But, yeah, Cincinnati's still hanging in there at six. Portland, Oregon coming up the rear at seven. All right. Mm-hmm. Is everyone uh, feeling good? I'm feeling great. <laughs> Feel like we're, uh, we're ready for a topic? Feel like making port. Yeah. As always, give me a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let me change beers. Come on, give me give me just a second here. <laughs> Have you got a beer to style today? God no. <laughs> we'll talk about what I'm drinking uh at the end of this. But uh, so yeah, today we're talking about port, and, and as always, that is that is not what I'm drinking. <laughs> port is, in its most basic form, a fortified wine from Portugal. Port wine traditionally comes from the okay. Even after watching a couple documentaries, I was like, how do you say it? Douro, Douro, Douro Valley in northern Portugal. This is the region surrounding the Douro River in the northern region of Portugal. The region's uh, microclimate make it gr- a great region to produce olives, almonds, and especially grapes. The vineyards in the hills uh, and river basin uh, provide the appropriate drainage and soil conditions. Uh, the River Douro has its outlet in the city of Porto, hmm, where the wine <laughs> itself gets its name. All right. Port wineries are called Quintas. And they line the terraced hills rising up from the Douro rivers east of Oporto, nearly reaching the border of Spain. And those, like, you have to look at the pictures of those. They are breathtaking. I had never thought I would want to go to Portugal. But after seeing pictures mm-hmm. of this valley with the, the terraced grapes, it is amazing to see. And I can only imagine going to see it in person. So, the name port wine is protected by the Appalachian uh, system. I want to say that Appalachian. (laughs) Appalachian. Appalachian. (laughs) Just the hick in me. He's like, Appalachian (laughs) Uh, system, just as uh, 
yeah, it's protected just as uh, champagne can only be placed on a bottle if it comes from the Champagne region of France. There are wine regions in the world producing port-style wines, uh, South Africa, California, and Australia in particular, but they cannot use the name exclusively. They may say made in the port style or just mm. called dessert wines as port is very sweet. Uh, the world-famous fortified wine first became popular with the English uh, when the English were at war with France during the Peninsular Campaigns, and they couldn't get French wines. Hmm, wonder why. <laughs> this period in history gave the Portuguese a chance to launch their wines into the important British market. So some other versions of that that I had looked up were talking about that the English were actually searching for wine from different places instead of it being the Portuguese seizing the opportunity, the English were kind of shopping around. It probably went both ways. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, that's It's always, you know, go to the middle ground, and that's more likely probably what happened. Yeah. Uh, they fortified the wine, which increased the ability for the wine to be transported. In those days, it was only about 3% addition enough to boost uh, the ABV of the wine enough to transport, but not enough to make it too sweet. One year in the early 1700s, it is believed when one harvest made wines richer and sweeter than normal, the wine hit Britain to great acclaim. After then, the Douro winemakers crafted wines that were sweeter by the year and added greater increments of spirit. These wines were the precursor of today's port. In the 18th century, however, the prices dropped due to market forces and the British accused the Portuguese of doctoring their wines. In order to protect their interests, the port farmers created an appellation system called oh, uh, Capanha, Capanha Gerardos Vinhos do Alto Douro. <laughs> Please feel free to write in and complain about what I just said. I'm I mean, sure. I'm sorry. I did not mean to call your mother that. This group was established <laughs> by the Royal Charter in 1756. It began as a method of ensuring quality to balance reduction and trade, as well as equalizing prices. In mm -hmm. 1850, oh no, Philosera? Philosera? I'm you got it right there. And Odium, uh, yeah, destroyed most of the vineyards in the previously uh, demarcated regions. In 1865, a new trading administration began to open up. Uh, the demarcation regions, and to expand to the Upper Douro. Before the end of the century, new methods of viticulture and uh, vinification were implemented, planting techniques and regional selections for grafting, fertilizers, and pest control use, as well as much more controlled winemaking procedures. So essentially it was kind of modernized <laughs> in how they farmed it and produced it. Uh, with steep terraced hills, this region proved to be a rewarding challenge for British and Irish entrepreneurs in regards to wine production. In order to survive the long ocean travel, brandy was added to the wines hmm, to give them longer shelf life and resist the temperature changes. This was something also, um, from source to source, they were saying about what was added to the wine. So some of them were saying uh, also to suit... British tastes, and it's also because of who was making a lot of the port, uh, uh, that Irish whiskey and scotch were also being added to some of these, in which case, mm. I really want to try some of that. Yeah. Uh, brandy is added to all port wines. So 20% of total volume of a port wine is going to be brandy. 
elongating shelf life and the fermentation process within the bottle. From this technique grew the new category of fortified wines, and port is among the most famous. While port is produced from grapes grown in the Douro Valley, uh, until 1986, it could only be exported from Portugal, from Vila Nova de Gaia near Porto, Portugal's second largest city. Traditionally, the wine was taken downriver in flat-bottom boats called... Is th- Why is that not a Queen song? <laughs> flat-bottom boats. <laughs> called the Barcos Rebelos. Also, uh, there's a uh, there's a Tom Sawyer joke to be made in there somewhere. I'm sure I'm sure Bob is on that one. Uh, to be processed and stored. However, in the 1950s and 1960s, several hydraulic power dams were built along the river, ending this traditional conveyance down the river. Currently, hydroelectric. Oh yes, hydroelectric. Uh, I'm picturing hydraulic dams, and it's really it's messing with my head. <laughs> currently, the wine is transported from the vineyards by tanker trucks. And the Barcos Rebolos are only used for racing and other displays. <laughs> so this that can really draw a parallel to uh, moonshine and whiskey here in the U.S. <laughs> I mean, Both it really racing. can. Like, we have NASCAR now after that the whole thing kind of devolved away. <laughs> it's like, what do you do when you this tradition still hung around? I don't know. Let's race them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like this idea. All right. I'm all um, for it. So, uh, sorry, I'm distracted by the cats. Okay. <laughs> um, so, getting into the process for this wine, uh, port is made through uh, the wine fortification process. Yeast, uh, if given the opportunity and time, will ferment um, all of the sugars in grape juice, also called a must, until the alcohol content of the wine made reaches too high of a content for the yeast to ferment any further. Uh, grapes are harvested in the fall after a season of significant struggle in low nutrient, dry, is that schist, 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 I don't know, uh, soil conditions in the patchwork of the Douro Valley vineyards. Next, the grapes are pressed to extract juice and initiate fermentation. Many port producers still embrace traditional foot treading in open air uh, lagares, uh, large stone or cement tanks. Uh, for pressing the fruit through recent, though recent years um, have seen the advent of mechanical treaders fashioned after the human foot, which is a little weird <laughs> picture, uh, gaining significant ground. So um, after treading the grape must, which contains all of the fresh pressed grape juice that still has the seeds, stems, the grape skins, uh, ferment for several days until alcohol levels reach around 7%. Uh, At this point, the young wine is fortified with brandy to bring the fermentation process to a sudden stop while capturing the new wine's youthful fruit nuances and preventing the grape sugars from continuing their classic conversion to alcohol. Um, This fortification will leave the residual sugar levels considerably higher than most um, still wines, typically in the 100-gallon... Is that what that is? Uh, grams per liter. Grams per liter, I'm sorry. Um, range, uh, or about 7%. So um, finally, the batch of baby port is pumped into large oak casks, typically for around 18 months or so um, for aging. And at the year and a half mark, these young port wines are blended with other lots of port wine to find complementary components that will ultimately deliver a delicious wine with well-defined fruit <laughs> friendly palate appeal, 
and overarching balance. At this point, the young port may be transferred to bottles for further aging or continue time in a cask depending on the style and range of port production in the process. Uh, although port is the most famous, there are other fortified wines, including sherry, uh, Madeira, Marsala, or even vermouth. Oh. Um, vermouth, in addition to being fortified, is also ar- aromatized? Aromatized. Aromatized, yeah. sorry. Um, by adding herbs to the liquid to incorporate other flavors. Um, in general, port will average somewhere between 16 and 20% ABV, uh, since that's about the point where the yeast will be unable to ferment any higher. Um, although we call the spirit added to stop the fermentation brandy, it actually bears little resemblance to what we recognize as um, ready-to-drink brandy. So uh, it's more akin to a neutral grape spirit, and is called, oh dear, um, aguardente. Uh, the Portugal, the Portugal version ranges from 50 to 80 percent ABV, uh, and is distilled from wine that can be of drinking quality, but is probably <laughs> the less uh, nuances and poorer variety. Uh, higher ABV marked the use of lower quality wine, uh, since the beverage will likely have less flavor from the more complete distillations. Um, so, the grapes, kind of uh, the, the biggest port here, or the biggest part of port, I guess, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, I haven't even been drinking. Um, over 100 varieties of grapes are sanctioned for port production. The most common local grapes making their way into bottles of port are Toriga Nacional, uh, offering consistent structure. Uh, Toriga Franca adds a softer edge with velvety tannins. And uh, Toriga Rores, um, some delicious grape as uh, Spain's Tempranillo. <laughs> Sorry, now I can't like not hear that. that um, <laughs> Adam ruins everything about wine. Uh, so uh, then uh, Toriga Nacional is widely considered the most des- uh, desirable port grape, but the difficulty in growing it and the small yields cause uh, Toriga Francesado Uh, to be the most widely planted grape. This grape is lighter and more perfumed than the Toriga Nacional, added uh, finesse to the wine. seen a wine have finesse, but okay. (laughs) It's finesse. (laughs) Um, While uh, white ports are produced the same way as red ports, uh, except that they use white grapes. Sure. Donzalinho, Bronco, Escanga Chao, uh, Vol... I got all the words. <laughs> no, no, you're not the only one. Guveo, uh, Mal- Malvasia Fina, Rabigato, and Viocino are those. And <laughs> uh, while yeah. a few shippers have experimented uh, with ports produced from a single variety of grapes, all ports commercially available are from blends of different grapes. Ports were one of the first styles to perfect this, uh, since the <sighs> Philozera crisis. Uh, most wines are grown on grafted rootstock, um, with the notable exception of the Nacional area of uh, Quinto do Noval, which, since being planted in 1925, has produced some of the most expensive vintage ports. 
Grapes grown for port are generally characterized by their small, dense fruit, which produce concentrated and long-lasting flavors suitable for long aging. Again, age your wine, not your bourbon. <laughs> That's uh, small aged fruit is the name of my California raisins cover band. Oh, <laughs> oh, nice. Good job. All right. Um, so as far as the styles are concerned, uh, port has many styles based around how the wine is treated uh, post-fermentation. So um, first up, we have ruby port, uh, which is the cheapest and most extensively produced type of port. Uh, after fermentation, it's stored in tanks of concrete or stainless steel Excuse me, uh, to prevent oxidative aging and preserve its bright red color and full-bodied fruitiness. Uh, the wine is usually blended to match the style of the brand to which it's uh, it's to be sold. Uh, the wine is fined. Yeah, fined just makes it's kind of a filtering type thing. Fined is uh, when you add when you added the fish bladders or gelatin to oh, a okay. beer to get the yeast to fall out of it. Gotcha. All right. Um, so the wine is fined and cold filtered before bottling and does not generally improve with age. Huh. Okay, so don't do this one with age. Um, although uh, premium rubies are aged in wood from four to six years, ruby ports should be finished within two months of opening. That's still a decent time frame. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, most wines, you want to finish your wine within a, a day or two of opening the wine up. Um, even like red you, wines are like two weeks usually, I think. I mean, you can, it, and it loses a lot of the flavor after about a day or two. You can mm -hmm. tell a lot of the oxidation's taken place. And so it's a totally different beverage that later on that much later on um ports because they are slightly oxidized in the the ruby uh port category you get a little bit more oxidation through the others it's part of the aged flavor is part of the wine itself and so it's not that big of a deal to have oxygen interacting with it i'm loving this so far i'm just like <laughs> i wish i could try port right now um so next up we have tawny port uh, aged tawny ports are wines made from red grapes that are aged in wooden barrels, exposing them to gradual oxidation and evaporation. As a result of this oxidation, they gradually mellow to a golden brown color. The exposure to oxygen imparts nutty flavors to the wine, which is blended to match the house style. Uh, when a port is described as tawny without an indication of age, it's a basic blend of wood-aged port that has spent some time in wooden barrels. Above this are tawny with an indication of age, uh, which represents a blend of several vintages. So uh, the port characteristic, um, years in the wood, um, state, stated on the label. The official categories are 10, 20, 30, and over 40 years. The categories in indicate a target age profile for the ports, not their actual ages. Though many people mistakenly believe that the categories include the minimum average ages of the blends. So basically not like whiskey, yeah, hmm. which is what we would be, I think, more yeah, used to. Yeah, that's what I yep. would think looking at that. So it is nice to know. Yeah, that's a very good distinction to have. Mm -hmm. You, We've talked about the, the ruby ports, the red ports. There's also the white ports made from white grapes, can be made with a variety of styles, although until recently few shippers have produced anything other than just the standard product. Ordinary white, ordinary white ports make an excellent basis for a cocktail, while those of greater age are best served chilled on their own. 
Sweet white port and tonic water is a commonly consumed drink in the Porto region. There is a range of styles of white port from dry to very sweet. Taylor's introduced Chip Dry, a new style of white aperitif port in 1934 made from traditional white grape varieties. It is fermented for longer than usual to give it a crisp dry finish. Lagrima, meaning tears, is the name for the sweetest style of white port. When white ports are matured on oak for long periods, the color actually darkens, eventually reaching a point where it can be hard to discern, from the appearance alone at least, whether the original wine was actually red or white. Why would they, they call it tears? Like, I'm still just I like... I don't know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, rose ports are a very recent variation on the market. The first release was actually in 2008. It's technically a ruby port, but fermentation is very similar to the manner of what you'd use for a rose rosé wine. Um, you limit the exposure to the grape skins, thus creating the rose color on mm -hmm. the wine. Then you have vintage port. Vintage port is made entirely from grapes of a declared vintage year, and accounts for about 2% of the overall port production. Not every year is declared a vintage in the Duro. The decision on whether to declare a vintage is made in the spring of the second year following the harvest. So you're actually waiting around like a year and a half later, it looks like, before you can actually say, okay, the grapes we harvested two years ago they're going to be a vintage that's good enough to be called a vintage. Mm. The decision to declare vintage is made by each individual porthouse, often referred to as the shipper. The port industry is one where reputations are hard won and easily lost, so decisions are never taken lightly. During periods of recession and war, potential declarations have sometimes been missed for economic reasons. More con conventional, shippers will declare on average about three times a decade. While it is by far one of the most renowned types of port, from a volume and revenue standpoint, vintage port actually makes up only a small percentage of the production of most shippers. Vintage ports may only be aged in barrels or stainless steel for a maximum of two and a half years before bottling, and generally require another 10 to 40 years of aging in the bottle before reaching what is considered a proper drinking age. Since they are potentially aged in cask for only a short amount of time, they retain their dark ruby color and fresh fruity flavors. Particularly, fine vintage ports can continue to gain complexity for many decades after they were bottled. It's not uncommon for a 19th century bottle to still be in perfect condition for consumption. The oldest known vintage port still available from a shipper is the 1815 Ferreria, Ferreira? Ferreira, Ferreira. which is still in excellent drinking condition. 2011 was declared a vintage year by most producers. The quality of the grape harvest was attributed to an ideal rainfall and temperature. Other recent widely declared vintage years were 2007, 2003, 2000, 97, and 94. Colhita. A Colhita port is a single vintage wine fortified and aged in tawny style for at least seven years. Instead of an indication of age like a 10 or a 20, the actual vintage year is mentioned. However, Colhita port should not be confused with the vintage port we were just talking about, whereas vintage port will spend only about 18 months in a barrel after the harvest, and then you'll continue to age it in the bottle. Colhita may spend more, 20 years or more in the wooden barrels before they actually bottle it or sell it, mm. which gives it a lot of time to actually age, and that means oxidation happens during that time. 
You can have a reserve or vintage character wand uh, port. Uh, reserve port is a premium ruby port approved by the Instituto dos Vinhos, Vinhos do Duro, uh, Duro e do Portos tasting panel. We do not speak Portuguese. IVDP. <laughs> we'll go with IVDP. Uh, their tasting panel is called the Camera de Provadores. Um, in 2002, the IVDP prohibited the use of the term vintage character as the wine had neither a single vintage, usually being a blend of several vintages of Ruby Port, nor the typical character of a vintage port. So I think they're now called reserves while they used to be called vintage character wines. So there's now a new style called, or not necessarily a new style, but there's a style called the late bottled vintage or an LBV. Late bottled vintage, often referred to just as the LBV, was originally a wine that had been destined for a bottling as a single vintage port, but because of the lack of demand was left in the barrel for longer than had been planned. So it goes a little bit over that 18 months or over two and a half years. And over time, um, it has become two distinct styles, both of them bottled between four and six years after the vintage. But one style is fined and filtered before bottling, while the other is not. The fined and filtered, uh, just on, on a side note here, that'll probably help prevent some of the future aging in that bottle, while not filtering it will keep things um, going in the bottle a little bit easier. Then you have the single Quinta vintage port. Basically, it's a single estate, single vineyard, single place, um, single uh, uh, what we call in, in scotches, single scotch, um, single malt. Yeah, it's, it's it's basically produced at one single estate. Unlike when you see more normally with ports, um, it's done by a blending at a port wine house, which can be sourced from numerous Quintas. Uh, single Quinta bottlings are used in di two different ways by different producers. Most of the large port wine houses have a single Quinta bottle, which is only produced in some years when the regular vintage port of the house is not declared. So if 97 was a good year, 98, 99 may have uh, single Quintas where they just produce something special because they're not using that as a vintage. In those years, wines from the best Quinta is still bottled under a vintage designation rather than just being used for simpler port qualities. Then we have the Gara Fiera. Uh, it's an unusual and rare intermediate vintage dated style of port made from the grapes of a single harvest that combines the oxidative maturation of years in wood with further reductive maturation in large glass demijohns. It's required by the IVDP that wine spends some time in wood, usually placed there between three and six years, uh, followed by at least a further eight years in glass before bottling. That's to be part of this style. So you get a long time of aging before you even get put there, but only about ha a little bit more than half of it, or sorry, a little bit less than half of it is done on wood. Um, in practice, the time spent in glass are actually much longer than that eight years. Some connoisseurs describe Garafiera as having a slight taste of bacon. Although many people will neither notice nor understand such a description, the reason being that during that second phase of maturation, certain oils may precipitate, causing a film to form across the surface of the glass 
that can be tasted by those who are accustomed to the difference between Garafiera and other forms of pork. I can't Confusing- help but feel like Justin might have an interjection here if he were around that he could understand the flavor of bacon or pork product <laughs> yes. coming across mm, in your bacon. beverage. <laughs> he had a, a distinct ham flavor in a beer <laughs> that I think he would recognize again and would revolt him from said beverage. Very potentially. <laughs> uh, confusingly, also the word Fiera may be found on some very old Atani labels where the contents of the bottle are of exceptional age. Um, so the, the word isn't just used in one spot, so that kind of makes it a little confusing. Can I just add, then, uh, this this beer is not, for, or beer, this wine is not from Guy Fieri, not to be confused. <laughs> no. It, it is not, it may be served at Flavortown, but it is not from Flavortown. <laughs> Ports are a Flavortown beverage. We can talk a little bit about that here in just a minute, but they are a Flavortown beverage for sure. Yeah. Uh, the last style that we really wanted to talk about is the crusted and that I thought was such a weird name. Um, the crusted port is usually a blend of port wine from several vintages. Although single vintage crusted ports have sometimes been made in the past, unlike vintage port, which has to be sourced from grapes from a single vintage crusted port affords the port blender the opportunity to make the best from varying characters of different vintages. Crusted port is bottled unfiltered and sealed with a driven cork like vintage port, it needs to be decanted before drinking. Mm. That's one of the things you need to look at with the vintage ports, the ones that haven't been filtered and the ones that have been aged in glass for a long time, they're going to get sediment. So you need to pour it off of that sediment in order to actually drink it. Crusted just does not sound like a good name. Not know? really. No. I don't want to drink anything that's called crusted. You, no, you say crusted and I'm immediately like, mmm, pizza. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I was almost... I found... On my way home, I was about to go looking for that big money uh, stout from Evil Twin that is a stout brewed with pizza and money. It oh. is it is hit oh. local distro, and I was about like, to go try and find it. Gajafeira. Gajafeira. That's how you say that word. <laughs> no, it's... It, all I had was Guy Fieri in my head, and I was like, Guy Please, Fieri. No, that can't be That's what say. it is. Guy Fieri. It's Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri, you heard it. Guy Shut Fieri. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Flavor Not Town. Ports, ports are going to take you to Flavor Town. Casey, tell us about Flavor Town. No. <laughs> I was trying to get that out of my head, and I was like, surely that's not said like that. Please don't let it be. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to hear Portuguese, I guess. I don't know. If you don't like sweet wines, you're not going to like a port, most likely. I mean, there are some out there that aren't necessarily. Super sweet, but port in general, especially the the ones that we get here in America, it, they are very sweet in nature. And so I think the sweetness allows other flavors in the port to come through. Um, it allows more of a grape juice flavor to come through. And it's not – some wines can be flat and have a real Venus or Venice uh, flavor to them where it's, it's mostly just uh, a whiny, like – wine that's lost its good flavors uh, i don't know exactly how to old wine that's that's kind of just been past its prime where it just tastes like vinegar at that point yeah <laughs> yeah i mean there's no sourness to the vinegar but yeah very similar like vinegar is very Flat. one note yeah yeah and that's it um ports have a lot of sweetness to them they're like the fruits if if wines are vegetables 
ports are like the fruits of that the wine world. And so you can come in and get a lot of sweetness out of them. But then also, um, if you had blueberry essence or smelled blueberries, that smells different than what blueberries taste like. You get some sweetness and some other things that are going on in there. So it's like if you take the sweetness away from a grape, if you take the sweetness away from a, a blueberry, it loses a lot of things that are that are built into that fruit by itself. Mm. So when you have a port, you get to keep that sweetness and you get to keep a lot of the things that would normally be lost. In addition to that, you also get a 20% alcohol by volume drink, which <laughs> is um, – that's why you serve port in a very small glass, uh, about like a, a snifter uh, for – for liquor um i think they're one to two ounce pours two ounce pours usually i was gonna uh, say it's a, it's a small snifter i would not recommend a large one <laughs> no you don't want a six ounce wine glass like or... don't get one of the giant like brandy glasses oh my <laughs> you like... get riggedy <laughs> yeah. wrecked like one of those comically large brandy snifters oh yeah from like the adams yep. family when he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a fishbowl yep um, well, this sounds like a good opportunity to get into what we're drinking. <laughs> Does it? Would, would... Uh, yes, because somebody actually is drinking the style. Drink with me, friend. Well, let's start with who's not. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Um, I am drinking a Dasani <laughs> sparkling water in a strawberry guava flavor. <laughs> you were talking and showing me your buble. That you were drinking. Oh, I, yeah, I, fin- I more or less finished that. I went in a plastic that. bottle. I've only seen it in cans. I know. it's And it's very much like we were talking about this earlier. You can tell that Pepsi made this. It's it, it very it was Pepsi the pep- bottle. It was the Pepsi plastic bottle. It looked like a plastic bottle of Mountain Dew. It, yeah, it was. It's very confusing, honestly, if you look at it. Um, but yeah, so that's I've, I've just been all about the sparkling water this evening. <laughs> this is basically what that comes down to. All right, do we want to get into who's drinking to style or who's not drinking to style? Go ahead, Chris. Okay. Um, I wish I had a better intro for mine, but I will use an out-of-place one for what I'm drinking because it needs an intro. Looking for a little slap and pickle. Because <laughs> I'm looking for a little slap and pickle. Uh, I am drinking the... 2018 just released yesterday kentucky breakfast stout from into it from founders i fresh as fresh as i could have it i have to have one absolutely that fresh (laughs) then we'll have one that's five years old eventually so uh this is from founders brewing company it is an imperial stout abv this year for the 2018 vintage is coming in at 12.31 percent IBUs coming in hot at 70. <laughs> they always tend to come high on this one, which is good. I guess it's because it's an Imperial. So right. your beer advocate score, generally, they do not have it uh, segregated out by years. But mm-hmm. uh, KBS comes in with a 4.61 out of 5 on beer advocate. So really high up there. And your commercial description is just what is on the bottle. So it's what we've got here. It's not a failure to communicate. It's an imperial stout brewed with a massive amount of coffee and chocolate, then cave aged in oak bourbon barrels for an entire hmm. year to ma- to make sure wonderful bourbon uh, undertones come through in the finish. Uh, makes your taste buds squeal with delight. I think we need a counter. For every time we give the description of KBS, <laughs> <laughs> like in the last, like you know, in two years, 
It's twice and, a year on release release week and then at New Year's because we always have one because we do a founders tasting on mm. New Year's Eve. But I feel like sometimes just randomly we'll be like, anyway, here's the KBS description. Uh, yeah, just <laughs> yeah. So so KBS, yes. Uh, no, this is a lot of us will acclaim our favorite uh, barrel aged beer, and gonna come in. I'm not, I'm not throwing shame or anything. This year's a little sweet, a little higher on the chocolate, a little lower on the coffee. So that's fresh. Maybe the chocolate's gonna fade off and the coffee's gonna come up. But as I bought it and just have been drinking it, it is extremely sweet, and the coffee's almost not to be found. Hmm. Sure. So I'm going to give it a few months, may crack another one, we'll see see how it develops. Uh, hoping more coffee develops out of this flavor. It, yeah, it probably just needs to hang out for a bit, I would imagine. So so let's move on. Uh, Casey, what 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 has the person drinking to style been having? So I am having a two style. Um, I am going with the Sandeman Old Tawny Porto 20. So I was able to find, track down uh, one of the liquor stores in the area. Um, I was looking on the shelves for a port. The guy that owns the store came up and said, what are you looking for? I told him, um, looking for some port. And he said, well, I've got this, this, and this here, but I've also got something in the back. And it was between this and a 30-year. And the price had it on this one. <laughs> uh, I, I want to know how much the 30 was. You said 30, correct? I think it was a 30. It wasn't a Sandeman, though. It was uh, Taylor Flegg at 30. Um, and I think it was 120, 140, something Ooh. like that for that bottle. Um, and this one was 70, 65, 70, something like that. So it was Let, a much, much better price range for me to get into. Let for. it never be said that Casey does not go that extra mile to drink the style. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I thought, you know, I thought, you know, it wouldn't be just me drinking out of it possibly. But um, with with this one, it still has a little bit of that that reddish hue. Mm -hmm. um, but around the edges, it's kind of browned out on the edge of the the glass. And so you can kind of see a little bit of that age character that oxidation it kind of goes a little brown around the edge so it it's does, like rum <laughs> uh, it's got a little bit of that yeah it does have a little a, bit of that see. color it's give a little bit a, more ruby rum type color give us a show of it oh, oh yeah yeah and it smells just like oh, the utopias yeah. it's that insanity is, that looks just like the utopias looked like yeah that is yeah. that ruby hue yep and so um it's delicious it is one of the the better I've, I've, whenever I buy this port or anything along those lines, I usually go in and purchase by the glass in a restaurant, like pay nine, ten dollars and get a glass of it and don't do a whole bottle. But I was quite happy to get a whole bottle of this because it's got a lot of sugar. It's it's good stuff. Um, the the flavor profile is supposed to have. Um, Hints of dried apricots, honey, nuts, spices, and vanilla, and it goes well with cheeses. So after we get off the show, mm. I'll probably go downstairs and fix up a cheese plate real quick so we can have some little cheeses to go with this, possibly. Well, haven't you done well? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, you know, I went to Wisconsin a couple weeks ago, so I've oh, got some okay. stuff from there that I'm still bringing back. I've got oh, some, yeah. I've got a, a, some cheese that is almost as old as the port is. <laughs> so we'll go from that 
But yeah, delicious, delicious stuff. Oh, you know, I've actually got somebody else here who kind of maybe wants to give their opinion oh, on port. Oh, has, has someone else stumbled in to talk about uh, port and their poorly rolled blunts? We had, we had, we now yeah, have on the uh, line. Let's we, see what we got here. We now have on the line Mr. Mm. R.L. Stein drinking his port <laughs> and smoking his poorly rolled blunts from his jacuzzi. Mr. R.L. Stein, what yes, would you I, say of your port? That I live alone. And I drink pot. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, that's delicious. I've actually not had port before, but that's that's really good. Uh, it smells like Utopias. It yeah. does smell like Utopias, which means it smells like delicious. It does. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll hand this back over so you guys can close out. But uh, oh, oh, thank you for your time, Mr. Stein. Thank you very much. <laughs> He's a very busy man, you know, writing all those novels. You can visit us at haveadrinkshow.com for some useful links and info about us. Also, look for Have a Drink Show on social media, twitch.tv, and YouTube. To tell us about your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback, use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also leave feedback on the feedback page on the web page <laughs> website <laughs> don't forget to tell us your favorite drink ask a question or just leave some general feedback use the email address feedback at have show.com can use the feedback page on the website the internet anywhere sandwich boards Twitter, on. facebook whatever you need anything all right guys yeah all joking fun aside i like to remind everyone Please drink responsibly. Very important out there. All right, so check us out next Saturday for our next live episode. And remember to check out patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Christopher Walker. Right. <laughs> and I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>